0: Please turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah 29. I'd like to welcome guests. I know that there's a lot of uh, family members here, relatives and so forth, uh, for the parent and baby dedication. And let me me just give this introduction to the sermon. I'm preaching to my church. <laughs> Beacon of Hope. And if you're not typical, a churchgoer, you haven't come to church in a while, what I'm going to say is, is biblical. It's from the Bible. And, um, you know, I'm going to talk about abortion a little bit. I'm going to talk about life in the Bible. And I'm not making any excuses. I'm just saying, don't shoot the messenger. Okay. Because I truly just want to deliver what God's Word has to say. And so, from that standpoint, I hope, I hope you can receive it as such. And um, we live in a, in a very challenging time for Bible-believing Christians. We've moved into a much more negative attitude towards Christianity as a culture uh, than we have in the past. We've enjoyed... A positive attitude for many, many, many years, where to be a church-going, God-fearing person was a good thing. And <laughs> nowadays, not so much. And so, I just look forward to preaching this message today. Ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the effects of sin have been very evident in humanity, and... Most often displayed clearly when people give evidence of a sinful nature, we call that original sin, it passes from generation to generation, they give evidence of a sinful nature through their lives and behavior. You don't have to read about it in a theology book or even in the Bible, you can just look around you and see the sinful nature exposing itself in the way people live. Uh, With that in mind, look at Isaiah 29, and I'd like to just read to you verses 15 and 16. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and whose deeds are done in a dark place, and they say, who sees us, or who knows us? Verse 16, you turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay, that what is made should say to its maker, he did not make me, or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible, because in it you reveal yourself to us, your nature, your character. And a lot of the things that you've done throughout history are revealed through the Scripture. And so we thank you for the Bible. It is the closest proximity that we have to reality. It is true. And so we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray that you'd open up our hearts to be able to receive your word today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a primary interpretation of Isaiah, obviously, Isaiah is not writing to you and me, except through uh, principle. But he was actually writing to warn the people in Judah that the Assyrians were coming as a judgment upon God for their unrepentant adultery. And in response, the people believed that they could hide their secret alliance with another nation, Egypt. And instead of turning to their God, Yahweh, they trusted their alliance with Egypt would protect them from the Assyrians. In reality, they needed to repent from their sin and turn and have their dependence replaced to Yahweh to trust the God that called them into existence. Isaiah responded with a timeless rebuke. He said, you turn things around. You've got things turned around here. He's very clear. They were attempting to reverse true values and, and putting man at the top of the scale and God at the bottom. And supposing that the thing created mattered more than the creator himself. But God will not be subject to man's puny judgment nor tolerate his behaving as if he existed for his own sake, independent of divine will. And when when we turn away from God and begin to place ourselves above God as if we know more than God knows, we've turned things around. And he will not put up with that. He's long suffering, he's patient, he's merciful, but he will not put up with that forever. Now, that's the primary interpretation. Um, The nation of Israel was doing that at the time of Isaiah's writing, and he's correcting them. And I think the people of Judah displayed at least four characteristics of those who do not trust God. First, their ways they thought were hidden, they thought they could hide their plans from an all-knowing, all-seeing, everywhere-present crater. Uh, they turned things around in their minds. Secondly, they were arrogant because they also thought that they were equal with God, or as Isaiah put it, should the potter be considered as equal with the clay? You've turned things around. Thirdly, they thought of themselves as autonomous Independent, if you will. These people had things turned around in that they thought their sincere conviction that God did not make them relieved them of their responsibility to him, their maker. This is called self-deception. And they did this. They thought they were absolved of their duty to submit to him and his authority. And fourthly, they held themselves as superior. Finally, and maybe most devastatingly so. You see, through their multiple deceptions culminated in their actual belief that God, their maker, their creator, was without understanding. That's in the last part of verse 16. Or what his form say to him who formed it. So what Israel was saying to God, their creator, He has no understanding. This is dangerous territory, folks, when you shake your fist at the creator God. How completely wrong they were, and history recounts for us that the Assyrians did attack them and carry them away as God's judgment for their unrepentant sin, even when God sent warning after warning to them through his prophet's. Now the people ignored his clearly revealed will and did what was right in their own eyes, what they thought was right, and they suffered dearly because of their obstinate rebellion. In Proverbs 14.12, we read a very clear sentence. It says, there is a way that seems right to a person. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Its end is a way of death. Well, today is such a day in our own country, in our own state, Minnesota, and our own city, St. Paul. There are many today who follow the same line of reasoning as Judah of old. And the cost is terrible. And the Bible teaches that the wages of sin are death. And when we consider the whole matter of abortion on demand, which was the law of our land from January of 1973 all the way up until June of 2022 when Roe v. Wade was overturned, okay? And Roe v. Wade needed to be overturned because it was a, it was a law that excluded the unborn from the protection of the 14th Amendment, which basically says no person shall be deprived of life without due process of law. Now, even with the decision being overturned, there still had been over 65 million babies that were murdered in the womb. Folks, we talk about the Holocaust. Six million Jews, right? 65 million babies. Truly, God said that in the latter days, their love would grow cold And I I think this is a testimony to that fact. The word of God is verified, and like Judah of old, men have turned things around. People have turned things around. Now, presently, there are 14 states that have enforced a total ban on abortion since Roe v. Wade was overturned, and seven more have policies that restrict access to abortion. But 22 states in the District of Columbia have enacted 129 measures to protect abortion access this year. Uh, Roe v. Wade did not outlaw abortion, it just basically turned it over for each state to make the decision. In January of 2023, our own beloved state of Minnesota put into law uh, PRO Act that protects the right to an abortion and disallows for restrictions including prohibitions on the third trimester of abortion, um, third trimester abortion. There are, there are no restrictions, okay? Uh, Minnesota was the first state, since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, to put legislation in place that includes no viability standard, no viability standard, okay? That allows abortion up to full gestation, And though one abortion advocate did say that they don't know of any practitioner that have performed an abortion past 23 weeks. They don't know. I I don't know if they took a survey or if they're just basing that on their own thinking or what, but the truth of the matter is the door is open. The door is open. The present legislation in Minnesota under PRO Act shows this. Abortion policies currently in effect in Minnesota include the following. Number one, abortion is not restricted based on gestational duration. This is right off our our website, okay? State Medicaid funds cover abortion. Qualified healthcare professionals, not solely physicians, can provide abortions. And of course now uh, the most popular and most used way of abortion is is through uh, the, the abortion pill so they're administered uh... abortion to themselves fourthly the state provides protections from harassment and physical harm for anyone entering an abortion clinic and then the state has a shield law to protect abortion providers from investigations by other states and they may cover patients and support organizations so Just as um, we're a sanctuary state, uh, we're also a sanctuary state for abortions. And and many people that have maybe, are living in a state that um, has completely taken abortion off the, the plate. You can't do abortions in their state. They can come to our state and we can do the abortion. And many employers will actually Uh, provide funding to do that. So why do people pursue abortion? Okay, now these are statistics that I've taken off of the web pages. and um, You know, I I didn't just go to pro-life groups. Um, The most common reason given was social and economic. You see, the most common reason women surveyed gave for an abortion was convenience. They did not want children at this time. Now, maybe the most staggering reason for abortion is that of gender selection. Gender selection, folks. Okay? Those of us that maybe don't run in circles or don't read this kind of data, that's why I'm giving it to you so I can at least expose you to what's out there and then you can go and check it out. Okay? You see, this type of abortion, gender selection, in Minnesota, is gathering momentum. And sex selection, abortion, is not only practiced, but completely legal in Minnesota. So if my wife is pregnant, and I find out that it's a girl, and I really want it a boy, she's allowed to get an abortion. There's no, nothing that prevents her from doing that, or vice versa. Now, I'm not recounting these things to condemn those who have had an abortion. Okay, please don't. Assume that. That's not my intention here at all. I'm telling you these things so that you'll at least be informed of what's going on. Because a lot of times we don't delve into these kind of issues. I believe that the multitudes are caught up in lies about God and about life. And I I honestly, honestly believe this. Many who terminate a pregnancy have been taught and they believe it is the responsible thing for them to do. You say, what? What are you talking about? Well, you're saying that from a Christian, Bible-believing perspective. If there is an unwanted pregnancy for financial or family planning reasons, that's viewed as a responsible thing to do to abort the baby. Okay? I can't afford this baby. It was unplanned for. It just happened. And so they would assume that this is a responsible thing to do. Or if during the pregnancy, the woman discovers that she's carrying a disabled child with debilitating physical malady, their reasoning would be, isn't it fiscally responsible and emotionally responsible to terminate this pregnancy? that That's the reasoning that pursues. And I can understand that. Can't you understand that? I, I mean... Without God and without hope in the world, I can understand that. If the pregnancy had its origin through irresponsible behavior or due to substance abuse, a one-night stand, um, got too high, got too drunk, whatever, boom, I'm pregnant. Uh, It's a crisis pregnancy. Surely to terminate such a pregnancy is the only responsible thing to do. But quoting Isaiah, I say to all such logic, you have turned things around. (laughs) You have taken things and just turned them around. Why do I say that? Because the Bible is abundantly clear that such reasoning is wrong. Look at the text again. The Israelites began with the presupposition that God was the creator of all things. He called their nation into existence. Father Abraham, remember uh, Genesis chapter 12 the Abrahamic covenant, and he identified them as a people, as a nation. So they knew of God as a creator, and and it was Moses that wrote the first five books of the Bible, and Genesis talks about our origins as a human race. So they had all that information. Now, number one, as a creator of all life, which they had through the Torah, he, he reigned supreme over all life for the Jew as well as for all the peoples of the nations, Israel was to be a light unto the nations. Israel was to expose to the nations the truth of the Pentateuch and what they had in Torah. Secondly, as creator God, he had communicated with humanity and his communication through the written word is a self-revelation. God revealed himself in, in these ways to God, or to Israel and his revelation is true at every level, and therefore it is completely authoritative. If he is revealing himself through the Bible, which he is, he is not a liar. He's not like us. He cannot lie. That would would make him not God. He is truth. He is light. He is life. And so therefore... What we have in the Bible is truth. It is light. It is life-giving. And it's authoritative. We either believe and obey what he says in the word of God or we reject and disobey everything that is revealed. Now, you may disagree and you may have chosen to work from a different set of presuppositions, but I can with complete confidence say this, that the Bible will repeatedly prove itself to be the revelation of truth. And it is the closest proximity that we have as human beings on earth to reality. (laughs) It truly is. And the Bible will prove itself over and over and over again to be completely in sync with reality. Now, just as there are laws in a natural world, like the law of gravity, which means I can't, go up to the top of the IDS building and jump off because I don't believe in the law of gravity, I will have a sudden awakening. That law actually exists. Splat, right? There are laws in the spiritual realm as well, the social relational realm as well. In every other realm of existence, there are laws that govern them and they have all been set in motion by God who is the source of life. And just as there are implications if one were to go against the law of gravity, there are real implications when we go against God's revealed truth in any of the realms that I mentioned. It doesn't matter how sincerely a person might believe a particular thing. It isn't about our sincerity. Because we all, I know this is true, we all know people that have deceived themselves and done something. Right? There is such a thing as self-deception. Because if it contradicts the word of God, flat out, it is wrong. And there will be con- uh, consequences to believing something that is contrary to the truth or reality. Okay. There is no spectrum of truth. Today, that's what we're taught. We live in a post-modern world, post-truth, post-Christian world. And we're taught that that there's like this spectrum of truthiness or whatever you want to call it. You know, like, like over here is really truth. About halfway through, it's kind of true, maybe not. Some situations, not so much. And then over here, it's like truth, well, I don't know. I don't know if the, I believe that there's anything that's really true. I mean, isn't it really constructed by the cultures that we come from, right? I mean, there's that spectrum. Hogwash, that is not true. What is true here in America proved to be true over in Indonesia where I lived for 20 years. Truth is truth. It doesn't doesn't get adjusted by cultures. Okay? It just doesn't. The greatest violation of God's revealed truth is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. God said, in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. Well, Eve was tempted by the snake and persuaded, and then she persuaded her husband to eat of the fruit. Did they die? Go like this. Yes, they did. Every time you go past the cemetery, you're seeing affirmation that the word of God is true. The wages of sin is death. It's so true. It's so simple. But man, we've clouded our things, and we've turned things around. On a lot of levels, right? Sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. The results of sin have been affected or have affected every human faculty. That's what we, we call total depravity. Um, it's, nothing, it's not that people are as bad as, as we could be. It's that sin is a, a corrupting factor, Sin as a corrupting factor has affected every faculty of our humanity. Okay? It, it's affected us. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, the results of sin have affected every faculty like our minds. The minds of sinful people have been affected by sin. We call that the noetic effect, Nous meaning mind, the noetic effect of sin. There is a subjectivity A feeling-based, self-deceiving, self-gratifying, I feel like Piper, and self-excusing propensity and motivation that dominates humanity. I'm going to read that again because it's important. There is a subjectivity, okay, my own feelings. It's a feeling-based, self-deceiving, self-gratifying, and self-excusing propensity and motivation that dominates humanity. If it feels good, do it. Follow your heart. Well, follow your heart only if your heart is true. And how many times have people followed their heart and found out, oops, (laughs) that was a mistake, that was a mistake, that was a mistake. You see, this strikes at the heart of the entire abortion issue as statistics declare, 99% of abortions are based on decision of convenience. It's not convenient for us at this time. Now, while I can understand that, I cannot accept it, because it goes against what God's Word says. Less than 1%, lest you think that the mother's life being endangered because of the pregnancy, because of rape or incest, less than 1% of abortions are performed because of that. Less than 1%. And if we're all affected by the consequences of sin and prone to decisions based on subjective reasoning and self-gratification, what hope is there for us? If this sin has run roughshod over our humanity, and, and the corruption has affected every faculty of what hope is there? Well, we find hope in the word of God. It's, it's by the renewing of our minds according to the word of God that we find hope. The first thing that it tells us that, that there is hope in the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died to forgive us of all of our sins. And that starts a whole new life for those that repent and turn away from their sin and trust Jesus Christ. But we find hope in the Word of God because it's only by the Word of God that we're able to renew our minds and discover what the good and acceptable will of God is, our Creator, on any matter. Every, every question you have, you can find the answer in the Scripture. It may be through principles. It may be through direct statements that are made, but you will find the answer here. Now here are four Bible truths that pertain to abortion and the sanctity of all life and God's will. The first one, and this is in your bulletin, the outline, God is a giver and sustainer of all life. You start with bedrock. That is foundational. Genesis 1, and 27 is the first mention of human life in the Bible. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God is the source of this life. In 2.7, Genesis 2.7, he further states, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. From dust to dust, Right? But he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Life began with God. He and he alone is the source of all life. Psalm 104.29 tells us, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. Talking about God, when he hides his face, they are dismayed. And when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. And when you send forth your spirit, they're created. And you renew the face of the ground. It is God who gives life, and it's not merely the result of our doing. It's not just two people coming together and creating a baby. That's true. But it is God behind it all. Colossians 1.17 explains that in Christ, who is God, all things hold together. So God is not only the creator or the origin of life he is also the sustainer of all things and then finally in job 34:14 it sums up everything succinctly if he should set his heart if god should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath all flesh would perish and man would return to the dust well there's a prayer Oh God, please don't do that today. Right? Don't recall your spirit and your breath because we would all just turn to dust. Clearly, the Bible sees God as both the creator and sustainer of all life. So, if life begins only after birth or the number of days of weeks into the pregnancy, because that's some argument, right? Okay, okay, okay. Let's make it five weeks. Let's make it two months. Whatever you know, stipulation you want to make. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. Why? Because life begins at conception. According to the Bible, life begins at conception. You say, oh man, you're, you're really going out on a limb here now. When is conception? Okay. The Bible talks about these things. I told you all the answers are in here. All through the Bible, we can see God is intimately involved in life beginning at conception all the way to the natural death of a person. In Psalm 127.7, we read this. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. So they're not solely the result of two human beings' actions, but are in fact declared to be a gift from God. God is involved with every child that is born. God is involved in the opening and closing of the womb, which is another way of speaking about conception, right? Genesis 17, 16 shows God speaking to Abraham about his lovely wife, Sarah, who is barren. And at this point, well past the age of childbearing. And this is what God said to Abraham. I will give you a son by her. He didn't have it the other way around. She will give you a son by me. He said, I will give you a son by her. I'm going to use Sarah, but you'll have a son. Genesis 20.18 gives a clear display of God closing the wombs of an entire clan of women because he desired to protect Sarah from her husband's lie. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Ambil, uh, Ambivalek because of Sarah, Abram's wife. We're dealing with God here. Something my my dear father taught me when I was really, really little is that God is almighty. God is almighty. And I don't know how he drove that into my head. He wasn't a Bible-believing man until very, very late in his life, but he taught me that. And when I was in school and started hearing about evolution and all that, I just turned a deaf ear today. I said, God's almighty. God's a creator. He can do that. And that's what was being questioned. Job 31.15 shows Job giving God the glory for his involvement with him from the womb. There's a lot of verses like this. Did not he, God, who made me in, my, uh, in the womb, make him? And did not one who fashions us in the womb God's involved in the baby in the womb. Clearly, Job identified God as the one who caused his conception and ongoing development in the womb, just as he did with all others. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Apostle Paul all claimed that God formed them and called them for service from the womb, which is to say that God identified them as living souls in the womb. They didn't become living souls once they were born outside the womb. Isaiah 49.1 says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you people from afar. That's everyone. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. From the womb. That's Isaiah. Jeremiah said, Before I was formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you in the womb. In Galatians 1.15, Paul. But when he who has set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. <laughs> That's a lot going on in the womb, right? Not outside the womb, in the womb. Now, this is the clincher, because I'm talking about life begins at conception, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Matthew 1.20 has an angel telling Joseph this quote: "Do not fear to take Mary as your wife." Remember, they were just engaged; they had not had any interaction with each other in a sexual realm, and she is found to be a child. And an angel came to calm Joseph, and he said, "Don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, that which is conceived." in her, is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All the way through, the angel speaks of that which was conceived of as Jesus, the Savior, while Jesus was still in the womb of Mary. All the way through. Now God is involved in the very act of conception, not only in the case of Jesus Christ, but of all life born in the womb. For it is God who opens and closes the womb. And the life is the womb of Mary was not just a piece of fetal tissue. It was the Son of God. <laughs> it's so clear, isn't it, in the Bible? Now finally, Luke 141, one of my favorite texts in Scripture says, it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God so moved the child in the womb of Elizabeth that it leapt at the sound of Mary's greeting. Why? Because she is the mother of the Lord. The baby knew that. The baby in there was John the Baptist. Okay? I mean, they got this thing going on in the womb this is amazing (laughs) listen to me now rather listen to the word of God the moment of birth does not determine the viability or the life of the infant life begins at conception and the baby in the womb is referred to with the same terminology as the baby outside the womb this is not just a collection of cells it is a living soul a living soul Now, I want to give one quote from a secular source that I think will be helpful to you. The father of modern genetics testified when life begins. Quote, life has a very long history, Lejeune said, but each individual has a very neat beginning, the moment of conception, the material link I'm speaking about is a molecular thread of DNA. He continues, in each reproductive cell, this ribbon is cut into pieces, 23 in our species, and each segment is so carefully coiled and packaged, it's like a magnetic tape in a mini cassette. Now, some of you don't even know what a mini cassette is. (laughs) Google it, okay? Okay that under the microscope it appears like a little rod, a chromosome. Now listen, listen as he goes on. As soon as the 23 paternally, that means from the father, derived chromosomes are united through fertilization to the 23 maternally, from the mother, derived chromosomes. So when the 23 and 23 get together, right, the full genetic information necessary and sufficient to express all the inborn qualities of the new individual is gathered. This is not from the Bible. This is from secular scientists. Lejeune said, exactly as the introduction of a mini cassette tape into a tape recorder will allow the, 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 the restitution of a complete symphony the new being begins to express himself as soon as he has been conceived. Beloved, what have we done? 65 million persons. Things have been turned around. So God is a giver and sustainer of life. Life begins at conception. and, And then thirdly now, God gives special care to the helpless. In Jeremiah 22:3 we read thus says the Lord do, do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor and do not mistreat or do violence to a stranger the orphan or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place Psalm 82:3 give justice to the weak rescue the weak and the needy, and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Consider just for a moment, is there anyone weaker than an unborn child? Anyone that is more needy than an unborn child about to be terminated? I don't think we can conceive of anyone more helpless and defenseless than an unborn baby. And God tells us to give justice to the weak and to rescue the needy. See, that's God's way. God's telling us what to do there. Now, we either believe it and obey, or we reject it and disobey. It's quite simple. It's not complex. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 is a fitting summary of God's summary or special care of the helpless and innocents. It says this, Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. And hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your souls know it? And he and will he not repay man according to his work? We all will be judged someday according to our works. Finally, there's hope in the gospel because, you know, I can, I can understand that the issues that we've been discussing, the problems that I've been identifying, they're bound to weigh us down and I don't want to weigh us down. I want to give us hope in the face of these things. Some will feel guilty, possibly even be tempted to be a bit overwhelmed. Maybe you've been involved in, in an abortion yourself or you've helped someone maybe pay for an abortion or gave advice to somebody. Yeah. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here judging you. I, you don't have me to judge you. On, that's not my job. My job is to just say what the word of God says. And I don't want you to be suffering from terrible depression. As always the case, the Bible makes abundantly clear wherever sin increases, grace abounds. Grace covers over the sin. Sin is... is an infraction. It's against what is the law of God. It's against what God declares to do. Now, it's directly at this juncture that the gospel shines brightest and brings hope and forgiveness and comfort that may seem impossible to you if you're suffering, as I just mentioned. It's not impossible. This this is the glory of God, our creator. The gospel is clear. When we come to grips with with this simple profound truth. Number one, that even though our creator God is holy and perfect, just and altogether righteous, he is no sin with God, he is also loving, merciful, kind and forgiving. Both can be true of God. Not so of us. We're one or the other usually. secondly, and even though we are sinful and rebellious as human beings, as far from perfect and holy as the sky is from the earth, there is hope and forgiveness in the gospel for everyone. You cannot out God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. I don't care what you've done. David first committed adultery with Bathsheba, then had her husband killed. Do you know what God says of David. He's a man after my own heart. Not because he committed adultery, not because he killed her husband, but because David repented and asked for forgiveness and God abundantly forgave him. So much so that God said, he is a man after my own heart. Wow. The gospel is open to everyone, anyone. Thirdly, the hope comes through Jesus Christ, the son of God, who by his sinless life, And substitutionary death on the cross took our place and received our punishment. Substitutionary, that's kind of a big concept here. Listen, you've sinned, the wages of sin is death. Let me bring it down to a lowest shelf for you. You sinned, the wages of sin is death. So either you're going to pay for that sin in eternity, all through eternity, and you'll never pay for it, ever, or you're going to trust Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for it for you. He's our substitute. That's why we call him a savior. He saves us from our having to pay the penalty of that sin for all eternity. That's the gospel. That's the good news that the Bible preaches and it's available to you. Now, fourth and final, all that remains for anyone to receive such love and forgiveness is for them to individually, you got to do it your own self, in your own heart, individually admit your own sin, then confess and repent from it. Turn away from it. Turn away from trusting in your own thinking and turn to God and embrace his offered gift of Jesus Christ with a sincerely and grateful heart. Just receive him and you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. You will be forgiven of all your sins. Will you understand everything in the Bible then? No. That's a process. But you will begin your journey of truth with God. Now, what, what do we do with a sermon like this? <laughs> and if you're visiting today, and as I said, you haven't gone to church for a while or whatever, you're thinking, whoa. Okay? Hang on. There's something to do with it. Number one, make, make certain that you've received the grace of God through the gospel. Get that relationship right first. Secondly, educate yourself on the issue of abortion and where we are in our country and state regarding this matter. Educate yourself. There's yeah, social media. There's just scads and scads of information out there. Thirdly, be courageous and speak up against abortion. Today is sanctity of life Sunday, and so I'm highlighting this, okay? Be courageous and speak up against it. And don't be unmerciful and unforgiving and ungracious. Be gracious and loving and kind and merciful and recognize that people that maybe have had an abortion or are even considering an abortion are struggling and they're needy. They need help, not judgment, not condemnation. Or if they've had an abortion and they're still suffering from guilt from that or depression from that, be there for them. Pray with them. Encourage them. Put your arms around them. And then finally, pray without ceasing. Okay? We live in a crooked and a perverse generation, people. Crooked and perverse when it's held up to the truth of God's word. It's, we've turned it around in our nation big time. As a nation, we've turned it around to the wrong way. And there are consequences to that, and we're experiencing some of that. So pray without ceasing. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for your loving kindness, your goodness to us, and the fact that we have a forgiving and merciful God. And Lord, I just thank you for the truth that you've revealed to us in the Bible, that you are the origin and sustainer of all life. And Lord, we love life and we want to see good days. Father, work in each of our hearts according to your will. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.